It's Wednesday afternoon at 4.30. You're in central Indiana. You're tuned to 91.9 FM WITT, the home of unpredictable music. But that means you're tuned to the Indies Trusted Servant Show, which plays at 4.30 on Wednesdays on 91.9. What is Indies Trusted Servant? Well, that's yours truly. That's me. That's Danny O'Malley. That's the host of the show. Indies Trusted Servant does customer service training and keynote speaking. It's all about the culture of the organization. I learned all of that from the hand of uh, the master, my late father, Joe O'Malley, at three different grocery companies starting at the age of nine, the most well-known of which was O'Malley Food Markets back in the day. If you're interested in learning more about that, why give me a call at 317-413-9062. What's the Indies Trusted Servant show on 91.9? I like to describe it as lively local small biz and community talk where you can feel the pulse of Indy. And today, uh, my guest is my good friend, fellow Indianapolis Rotarian and Cathedral Board member, and uh, big shot at the University of Indianapolis. And I like to describe him, and he's been described by others as Indianapolis's economist. It's Dr. Matt Will. Matt, welcome to the show. Well, Danny, thank you for having me. I appreciate those kind words. And the check is in the mail. I will pay you for those comments later. Okay, okay. Well, as as many of you know, uh, many I know many of the listeners might know Matt from Catholic Business Exchange, from Cathedral, or from the U of I. Uh, he's is really known by many as Indy's economist. I've seen him interviewed on television about the economy many times. Um, what does this mean to the economy? What does that mean to the economy? Where's the economy going, and so on and so forth. Um, he has in the past been the head of the business department at U of I, and uh, well, he's he's quite an economist. Uh, so we're going to talk about the economy as it sits right now, or as it has been in the recent past, and then what Matt thinks the economy might ha- what might happen to the economy with a new administration. So Matt, I'm going to turn you loose and talk about the economy as you think it is now. Well, thank you, Danny. Um, I'd also like to say that if people would like to follow me or, or see what I have to say periodically, my Twitter handle is at drmattwill. That's at Dr. Matt Will, uh, so they can follow me there. You know, you can't, unfortunately, talk about the economy without first mentioning COVID. I mean, oh, COVID's... Absolutely. It, it's really done a number on the economy. And, you know, before we get into, you know, the Biden policies, proposals, executive orders, I think we need to, to mention that the economy is rolling along very well prior to COVID coming around. Uh, we had record unemployment. Uh, low GDP unemployment. Was record record low unemployment. Yeah, I mean, and across the board, every demographic category was seeing low unemployment. Um, we had a shortage of labor. You know, we didn't have a, an immigration problem at the time because we had a shortage of labor. So, you know, businesses that actually do hire people that aren't, are undocumented were kind of happy because they got the cheap labor. Um, I'm not saying it was good for the country or, you know, the policy was good or bad. I'm just saying there was such a shortage that there was plenty of jobs to go around. Skilled labor couldn't find it. You know, if you wanted an engineer, I don't know where you're going to get one because they were all employed making good wages. And then COVID rolls along. Um, the COVID, when, it, when COVID came along, um, I think we reacted initially, and I say this, and I got a public record, as you know, I think we reacted properly initially. Yes. 
But very quickly, we came to learn as the science came out that these lockdowns, which I don't think anybody opposed at the beginning, were wrong. That shutting down schools was wrong. Forcing people not to travel and stay in their homes, that this was wrong. And the more we learned about this, you know, we learned that masks were a good idea. At the beginning, they were telling us they weren't a good idea. You know, they kept changing their opinion on it. Yes. But what we've learned is that the lockdowns were a bad idea. Again, I'm not second-guessing the first decisions. But subsequent to that, we've learned it. Now, what's happened as a result of that is, in fact, there are a number of uh, research studies that have been done on this, that we've had over 100,000 businesses that closed and were and have gone permanently out of business. Danny, a hundred thousand. Those have employees, who knows, maybe 25 people, you know, in a restaurant. Uh, it's, it's incredible. And that's just, you know, I'm talking a small one. So this lockdown, the subsequent closing of businesses has had a, an incredibly bad impact on the economy. That being said, what we see is as the economy started loosening up at the end of the year, as former President Trump started letting things open up, we saw this robust economy bouncing back. We saw that, that stock market that tanked came soaring back. The stock market did well. Employment was soaring again. Unemployment rate was dropping. You know, Indiana, you know, we're, we're down to 7%. I mean, we're, we're actually close to a decent employment level despite COVID. Yeah. So things were going pretty well. And I think the economy now is not in good shape but it's waiting to take off. There is incredible strong foundations in this economy. And so my opinion is, if you could remove COVID, the economy right now is excellent. It was, um, Biden inherited a fantastic economy. He should send a thank you note to the former president saying, appreciate it, glad you left me in good shape. Now the, the goal here is do no harm. If, if there's anything I could convince the, the new president of doing is do no harm, the economy's good. Let's loosen it up and let things start taking off. One of the things that I have, I was listening to Larry Kudlow this morning, being interviewed somewhere, I forget where, um, and uh, he was talking about the fact that uh, for the vast majority of the country, uh, the flyover country mostly, the economy's very good. The California and New York and Illinois of the world are huge parts of the economy, and the economy would be even better if they were opened up. Is that is that fair? Is that correct? Oh, that, that's a hundred percent correct. We, we've seen uh, economies like Florida, where there's like there, there seems to be a, a civil war going on in Florida because the governor is trying to open up the state. There are certain cities that are trying to shut things down. Uh, the the courts have ruled in favor of the governor. So cities like Miami, they were trying to lock down the economy, had to force themselves back open again. They basically were open because the, the police were not enforcing any lockdown rules. And so we've seen economies that are open on the coasts do well. We've seen economies that are closed on the coasts do poorly. And, of course, you know, in the Midwest, it's been a mixed bag. And so, yeah, the, the evidence shows that the lockdowns have hurt and the, the opening up of the economies have been very beneficial. Now, we're not talking about health necessarily. I mean, that's a, that's a different topic, and we can address that if you want to, but the reality is that lockdowns, um, Stanford had a research report that was recently published. You know how whenever there's research, everyone wants to challenge it. If you agree with the research report, you think science is good. If you disagree, you say science is bad. It's not real science. But Stanford went 
overboard, I mean absolutely overboard in, in looking at every economy in the, in the world that locked down to see did it have an impact on the health and the spread of COVID. This is Stanford. In, in a peer-reviewed publication, widely published this, many people reviewed it, and what they found was that lockdown or no lockdown, no impact on the spread and no impact on mortality rates as a result of COVID. Right. Um, and for, not, not one of the things, and maybe we can bounce into this in our next segment because we're coming up on a underwriter break. Um, but but the big one of the big issues right now, and maybe it's a small thing to a lot of people, but it's a big thing to a lot of people, is high school schools going back, getting back in, and high school sports. And, and we know that in Indiana and a lot of other states, football got played. Now basketball and wrestling are being played and so on and so forth. And things are going, even though it's rough and games got postponed and this and that, we got through the whole football season. We're through the basketball season almost. And it doesn't seem like that's having a negative impact on people's health compared to not playing and they're not playing in certain states, including our neighbor Michigan, and people are really getting upset about that. And not to mention the not being back in school thing. You want to comment yeah. on that before our break? Well, I will. Um, I'll men- I mentioned lockdowns, and I'll mention the report from Stanford. But I'm not a he- health person, an epidemiologist, so I'll, I'll defer a discussion on uh, on COVID-related items to other people, other than what I've already said. And we'll, we'll switch over to the Biden econ plan after the break. <laughs> okay, great. It's time for an underwriter break. Uh, we're here with Dr. Matt Will of the University of Indianapolis, an Indianapolis's economist. And we want to thank our uh, uh, sp- uh, underwriter for the Indies Trusted Servant Show, and that's Open in Indiana. Open in Indiana is your destination for finding the people, places, things, and events that make Indiana a great place to live, work, visit, and do business. If you own a business in Indiana, list your business and your events with www.openinindiana.com to get started. You can follow Open in Indiana on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I want to thank Ryan Henry, the founder of Open in Indiana, not only for being an underwriter of the show, but also for hosting prior episodes of the Indies Trusted Servant Show. If you've missed an episode that you want to hear, just go to Open in Indiana and click on Shows, and you can find the Indies Trusted Servant Show back clear through um, October of 19. Um, so in a couple of days, you can listen to this show with Dr. Matt Will again. We want to thank our host for the studio here of 91.9 FM and the Indies Trusted Servant Show and all that unpredictable music, and that is My Pet Carnivore, a pet food distribution warehouse on Shelby Street in Fountain Square where Paul and Suzanne and their very busy staff distribute healthy frozen pet food, mostly dog and cat food, to pet owners only, not stores, in 48 states. There's stacks of frozen uh, pet food in this place. People are whirring around on forklifts. Trucks are coming in and out. These guys are selling a lot of frozen pet food, so it must work. And we want to thank them for hosting the studios here at 91.9 FM. Now, Doctor, back to Dr. Matt Will. He's kind of covered the economy up to the beginning and through COVID up to this point. And the next issue is 
What do you think is going to happen with the economy and this new administration? And, and, and then you can add whatever other economic topics you want to talk about, Matt. Well, let me ask you this, Danny. So we got how many more segments do we got? Two more segments. Two more. Okay. Yeah. So this one and one more. This one and one more. Okay. So let's let's chop this up into the the Biden plan and what's been thrown out there, and then let's talk about the executive orders. Okay. Okay. So, so the plan. Let's first talk about his economic plan. Um, the Hoover Institution, which is, I, th- I would imagine many people have heard of it. They're based at Stanford. They're they're world renowned economists. They did an analysis of his proposal. And what they found is that his economic plan, if implemented, would cost the economy uh, quite a bit. In fact, individual household income by the end of this decade is forecasted to drop by $6,500 as a result. And you, I mean, this isn't, this isn't um, you know, some radical left-wing or right-wing group at the Hoover Institution. I mean, they are some economists that are very well-renowned, and they will tell you that they're just looking at what he has said. And, and you've heard, you know, everybody's probably heard the testimony of a lot of his people before the Senate this last week. And he was very clear, that, you know, recently. And he was, they're very clear. They said, we're going to raise taxes. Yep. We're going to sign executive orders, which they've already done, to eliminate the ability of, let's say, you know, uh, companies to drill for energy. We're going to eliminate, you know, the importation of oil from Canada. We're going to reduce the leases on public lands. I mean, there is no secret about this. And I think while the Biden administration would like to say that, oh, there's going to be tremendous benefit from these other things like renewable energy, those are guesses where the decisions are facts. You know, when you make a decision to close an industry, that's just a fact. I mean, those number of people will be gone. Uh, I believe the... The Keystone uh, Pipeline thing uh, cost eleven thousand dollars right off jobs. the top. Yeah, uh, eleven thousand jobs right off and, the okay, top. Okay, so let's right? you know, I, I know you very well, Danny. So let, let's let's make sure that everybody understands that that we're trying to be factual. We're not to take a, a left or a right side. So the eleven thousand, the reality is there's a company called TC Energy Corp. They're the ones who own the Keystone Pipeline. Well, there's multiple phases of it, but the the last phase, which has been shut down, eleven thousand jobs would be lost. 10,000 of those jobs were construction jobs. So they would be shut down and lost during the term of the construction. 1,000 jobs would be lost permanently because when you have a pipeline, you're going to have to be maintained. Yeah, exactly. So there's 1,000 jobs. But there's a lot more impact, which, you know, we're going to do that after the next break, but we could do it now and talk about that pipeline since we're on it. Go ahead. The people don't understand that this was done for strictly political reasons, not economic reasons. The reason is that this company called TC Energy, which is, in, which is in Canada, they're shipping oil into the United States. Canada is the largest importer of oil that we have in the United States. Um, they do about 3.8 million barrels per day, and it comes across pipelines. Well, some of it comes through rail. And back in 2009, I know these are numbers. Pe- people don't like numbers all the time. So Matt I loves numbers. <laughs> I'm just a total nerd. But 2009, we, sh- we shipped 12,000 barrels per day by rail from Canada. We are going to be, in 2013, we had 950,000. That's almost a million barrels per day by rail, by train. And the estimate, and, and in 2019, it dropped to about 400,000. Why? Because we built these pipelines. If this pipeline isn't finished, Danny, 
we may be shipping over 2 million barrels per day by rail on trains. That is an environmental disaster waiting to happen. That's one of the things that people just aren't aware of. The pipeline is better environmentally than the alternatives, right? Um, Exponentially better. Yes. And yet... That doesn't enter into the discussion, and people are li- largely not aware of this. In fact, by, 2000, by the end of this decade, by 2030, about 30% of our oil imports will come from Canada. And if this pipeline isn't finished, most of it will come on trains. Can you imagine shipping oil on trains? It, it makes no sense. People don't realize there's pipelines all over the country. We, the, in fact, most of almost every gallon of gas you put in your car in Indiana comes from an, a pipeline that starts off the coast of Louisiana on this thing called the Loop, the Louisiana Offshore Oil Platform, comes off a tanker, goes into this pipeline, flows up the the Mississippi River yep. to to Illinois, and in Illinois there is a there is a place there where they refine oil. And that refinery then ships it out to the, all of Indiana through pipelines. It is, it, it's in Robbins, Illinois. There is a pipeline from the day it gets off a ship in the, in the Gulf of Mexico all the way till it gets almost to your gas station. The last couple of miles are by truck. It's pipelines everywhere. Just Google ma- a map of pipelines in the United States and you'll see. It's silly that we're stopping this one pipeline, which is the biggest one, going to produce most of the gas from, oil from Canada for political reasons, not economic reasons, and not environmental reasons either. Although that's the excuse, right? The, the excuse, you know what? The excuse is is exactly that, an excuse. It doesn't make any economic sense whatsoever to shut down a pipeline that is going to produce tremendous economic benefit and be environmentally sound. Is it possible, and this, this might get into too much wonkism uh, on another level that, that neither one of us is really an expert about but that and the leasing of the uh, oil rights on the public lands that, that they're they're trying to cut out could that get us back into being dependent on the middle east for oil at some point yeah, well yeah and in fact i mean since we've already flipped the topics here we'll finish this one yes the energy leases on public man land in the United States. People may not realize this, but there's 26 million acres that are leased by the federal government to companies. And, and they do things such as uh, timber. So they'll, they'll harvest trees, then they replant the trees, and then in eight or nine years, I don't know the exact lifespan of a tree re- replanting. Right, and it, right. But it is short. I mean, it's not people think 30, 40 years. No, it's like a decade or less. They, they recycle it, and then they replant it, and they reharvest it. Oil's the same way. There's 102,000 wells on public lands in the United States. And companies go in, they extract the oil. It's a very small footprint the way it's done. I mean, you you drive by, you wouldn't even know there's a well over there. It's it's pretty efficiently done. Well, they want to stop that. They want to stop what's going on now? All new leases. They want to stop the new leases. and, and 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 also renewal of leases. So eventually, eventually renewal. Stop all of that. And I know this is a weird number, but there's, in addition to the oil, there's natural gas. We have everybody knows their homes are very inexpensive to heat. Natural gas is so cheap in this country. That's because, and here's a weird number: forty quadrillion cubic feet of natural gas are pumped off public lands. 
That's a lot. It's like 40 billion billion. Do we know what percentage that is of all the natural gas? I don't know the exact percentage, so I wouldn't want to give a quote without knowing it for sure. But that's a significant amount of natural gas. And in fact, we export natural gas to the rest of the world. It's so inexpensive here, and it's so plentiful. Can you imagine if we had to, sh- to discontinue that? If we had to discontinue all this uh, 102,000 wells, I mean, we wouldn't discontinue all of them. But And if we were to stop importing oil from Canada, we would then be dependent again upon the Middle East. Yep. And what would be the price of a gallon of gas? Who can guess? Who, who could guess? <laughs> but you know what? The thing that concerns me is, from an economic standpoint, this is silliness. But from a national security standpoint, you know, we haven't noticed in the last 10 years, oh, well, we're, de- you know, four or five years, we're not dependent on the Middle East. We don't hear that uproar in the Middle East. We right. hear Iran and their little deal with the, you know, the nuclear stuff for, for, for weapons. But we don't hear about the oil problem because we don't have that's an oil right. problem we're in the Middle East We're not dependent on them now. Exactly. Right. And that's, that's not just huge economically, that's huge security-wise. Yes. And when you consider that Canada from in 2009 was 8% of our oil imports and they're soon to be 30%. Our biggest trading partner for oil is now Canada, which is what we prefer. Wouldn't you rather import oil from Canada than from the Middle East? Two reasons. One, it's close. Two, there are allies. Yes. Right? Uh, Okay, Dr. Matt Will, Indies economist, University of Indianapolis, is our guest today. And we'll have one more segment on his thoughts on the economy and the impact of the new administration and any other economic thoughts he might have in just a minute. We're going to have an underwriter break and thank our host for the studios. Our underwriter for the show is Open in Indiana. Check out Open in Indiana, your destination for finding the people, places, things, and events that make Indiana a great place to live, work, and visit. If you own a business in Indiana, you can list your business and your events with www.openinindiana.com. That's www.openinindiana.com. To get started, you can follow Open in Indiana on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks to Ryan Henry, the founder of Open in Indiana, for being an underwriter to the Indies Trusted Servant Show and also for hosting prior episodes of the Indies Trusted Servant Show right on the website. Just go to Open in Indiana and click in shows and you'll see my picture and you can get any show that we've done back to October of 19 on Open in Indiana. Uh, I'd rather you listen live on Wednesday, but this is a great backup for you. We also want to thank the host for the studios of 91.9 FM. All that 24-7 unpredictable music from Beethoven to the Rolling Stones um, and that is uh, My Pet Carnivore, pet food distribution warehouse on Shelby Street and Fountain Square where Paul and Suzanne and their extremely busy staff, um, they distribute healthy frozen pet food to pet food owners only, no stores in 48 states. Uh, so this stuff must really be good. Once again, that's My Pet Carnivore. If you've got a pet, check them out. So Dr. Matt Will, University of Indianapolis, where are we where are we now in our discussion we've talked about the the oil thing and the natural gas thing and all of that what else do we expect in the next couple of years at least from this administration economically well with the with the victory in georgia and the democrats now controlling the senate the president is probably going to get his agenda through because there has been of course a very clear statement that they're going to not 
they're going to use the um, the reconciliation loophole so that they don't need a supermajority in order to pass bills. So what that means is his first thing he's going to do is his stimulus package. It's a $1.9 trillion stimulus package. Right. It's pretty hefty. Um, and when it was first announced, the market plummeted by 1% in one hour. One hour, the market just tanked as a result of the announcement. And, and there's a reason for that. Because the market likes stimulus. The market's like a drug addict. It wants its drug, and then it wants more drug, and it wants more drug. And that right. drug is government spending. Yep. And it's not good for the economy long term, but it's good for the stock market short term. And the stock market is a short term entity. Yes. I mean, long term, it, 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 it reacts properly, but it does j- jump up and down anytime someone sneezes yes. uh, in Washington. <laughs> or anywhere. <laughs> exactly. And the, uh, the $1.9 trillion package that the, the president proposed did not include the things the economy wanted. The market was inspecting infrastructure. They thought road, bridges, they thought, you know, Republicans and Democrats, everybody's going to be on board with that. It had no infrastructure. They thought there was going to be lockdown relief. There was no lockdown relief. Or, or not enough, anyway, right? Well, there was, there was virtually no, no lockdown relief. No, so no help for the little restaurant owner or... Nope. Nope. There, so there what was, is it in it other than pork? Well, exactly. There, <laughs> there was some COVID. So, I mean, people say, well, there was lockdown. Okay, there was some COVID relief, okay? And they repurposed some of the previous PPP money. But that was actually done during the, um, during the, the um, Trump administration when they did the first $900 billion package back in December. Okay. So what this included was there was some COVID. There was $50 billion of what they call COVID relief. There was vaccines, $20 billion for vaccines. There was a, but then it became a lot of pork. $350 billion just given to state and local governments. Most of that money, in my opinion, will be used to bail out cities who had poor fiscal health before. States that had poor fiscal health before. Yes. I mean, for example, everyone's notorious for, or everyone knows the, the terrible situation in Illinois and California where they have unfunded pension obligations. They've made promises to their employees to pay pensions, and they don't have the money to pay it. Yes. So they really would like some of this money to bail themselves out. Is it safe to say that there's more money for Illinois than for a fiscally conservative state like Indiana? I, I don't know the we answer know. to that, okay. but it's probably because it's based on uh, population yeah. and congressional districts, and Illinois has more than we do. True. So that, that would be my guess, but I don't know the exact formula. But there's so many things in, in this his proposal that have nothing to do with COVID. I mean, for example, $25 million to the Kennedy Center for the Arts. That's an example. Yeah. Now, let, let, I'll be very fair because I know there are probably some you know people who were very pro-Biden who were out there saying, yes, but that money was going to be in a regular uh, spending bill. No, that's true. It was, it, it was a very controversial item that is a, a non-economic kind of a, a, just an arts giveaway that has been in many past budgets. But here's what he was doing. He was using the COVID, the, the, the excuse of COVID, the emergency of COVID, the tragedy we're all going through as an excuse to get through items that have nothing to do with COVID. So, exactly. yes, the Kennedy Bill Center might have gotten its money anyway, but it's an excuse. You know, Frank, but, frankly, I'd rather see it go to the Indianapolis Museum of Art. <laughs> I, but that's I, just me. I would agree. <laughs> I would completely. But there's a lot of art museums out there. And you know what? And, and that would be during a normal budget process. That would be a negotiation. There you go. But when you're shoving this through, and things such as SNAP funding, SNAP we got is, we got about one minute 
one and a half minutes. Okay. Just to, just so to let so you know. things like SNAP funding, valid thing out there for SNAP funding, but does it really need to go into COVID relief? Uh, a ban on mortgage foreclosures, a paid family leave, money to colleges, money to individuals to buy health care, earned income tax credit, child tax credit, child care reimbursements, minimum wage increase. All these things are in the COVID bill. They have nothing to do with COVID. They're part of his personal agenda to expand the size of government. And we should have that debate. We should have the debate. Later. Yes. Yes. Not during a COVID emergency. We could do a whole half hour show on the minimum wage. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Uh, Dr. Matt Will, University of Indianapolis. Indianapolis is economist. Thanks for being our guest on the Indies Trusted Servant Show. And I'll, I'll no doubt see you soon at Catholic Business Exchange if it ever gets back together. Or a cathedral board meeting if we can ever have one live. Thanks for being my guest today.